This is the Reverend Jeremy Means Koss, and you're listening to an Episcopal Constellation in the Shires of Vermont. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Okay, so we are very squarely now in the season of Epiphany. That's a joyous and sometimes ignored time between Christmas tide, remember on the 12 days of Christmas, so Christmas tide and Lent. I'm going to sneak that song in to, Ber- to Brendan's chagrin, no matter what, all the time. Um, the wise men have come, they've given their gifts to the baby Jesus, and now they're out their door and on their way. Also, during the season, we get the baptism of Jesus, which we celebrated last weekend, uh, last Sunday. We get the confession of Peter, uh, the moment when Jesus is categorically declared as the Messiah. We get the conversion of St. Paul on the road to Damascus, the presentation of Christ in Candlemas. And then the season always ends with a scriptural account of the transfiguration on the last Sunday. In the mean, like in the in-betweens on those Sundays, we get gospel readings accounting for a bunch of miracles that Jesus does. If the season of Epiphany were a person, it would be the hype man in Jesus's entourage because the season is categorically supposed to lift up for us the glory and the miraculousness that is Jesus Christ, the superstar. And yet, and yet in the middle of all of this glory lifting, hype building season, we find ourselves in the middle of Paul's words to the church in Corinth. Sometimes I think I'm lucky that I wasn't born a Christian and became one later in life. Because in doing so, I was able to find out who I was without the fears and the stereotypes that Christianity can sometimes put on us. I didn't have to wonder if being, a, if being gay was okay. I loved who I was. And then I stumbled upon, well, really I was bum-rushed, tackled by this divine presence that loved me for who I already was. But sometimes we aren't that lucky. And I think it's a pretty big assumption that we can all agree that this church, at least, in here, we believe that God loves you for exactly who you are. But if that's the case, if we believe that, if we believe that God loves us, then how do we protect each other from assumptions that might, that might make us believe otherwise? If we're not careful, we can lose track of Jesus's core morals to love God and love each other. The body is meant not for fornication, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Taken on their own, passages like that make me feel very uncomfortable. Maybe I'm a little triggered from being a gay kid in a straight person's world, but hearing scripture tell me what I can and can't do with my own body feels more shame-inducing than it does inspiring me to live a holy life. I'm not making a statement about what you should or shouldn't do with your bodies. My point for bringing it up is that all of us We're designed by God to want to be loved by him. Humans yearn for the divine. It's part of our programming. 
Doesn't it say in the very psalm that we, that we read this morning responsibly, you knit me together while I was still in my mother's womb. I give thanks to you that I was marvelously set apart. When we first started the exchanging of the peace beyond the peace be with you and also with you, we said, and you are glorious and wondrously made, which also comes from this psalm. There is a validation by this church, by our tradition and by God, that we are miraculous and beautiful and wonderful. And so if God designed us to be these marvelous beings, if Jesus tells us to love each other as he loves us, and if the Bible is, inspi is the inspired word of God, then what are we learning from 1 Corinthians that we aren't seeing yet? Okay, so interestingly enough, 1 Corinthians is not the first letter to the church in Corinth. Uh, first, in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul says, I wrote to you in my earlier letter, right? Like when we see a show and it says last time on Days of Our Lives, we know there was an episode beforehand. That's what he said. I don't know if Days of Our Lives is still on anymore. I don't know. <laughs> Bible scholars usually agree that out of all of the churches in the New Testament that we get exposed to, the one in Corinth is the problem church. It's the one that Paul has to keep writing back to and being like, can y'all please get yourselves together? All in all, we think that Paul wrote at least four letters to that community alone. First Corinthians is letter number two, we think. Um, second Corinthians might be letter four or a combination of parts of three and four. But um, either way, it's important because we aren't dealing with a group of people who've been doing this stellar job at being shining examples of Christianity to the wider world. The purpose of the Corinthian letters, I believe, was always meant to lift up people, to remind them that they can be better than the people around them, that God is better, and because of that, they can be better. I think uh, I was looking up how many people they think were in the town of Corinth at that time. 90,000. That's like that's like eight Benningtons. I mean, it's not eight, but it's like something pretty high like that, right? There is a lot of peer pressure going on. And so I have to ask, do you desire a holier life? A life where you feel more in touch with God? I think in the midst of all the wondrous things we hear about Jesus, in the midst of the epiphany season, it's easy to forget that we too can exist more wondrously, more amazingly than we thought was possible for ourselves. That God's glory doesn't just transform Jesus or perform miracles, but that it transforms us too. I think what I see when I read the Corinthians letters is something a little bit more optimistic and hopeful than what I think might or could be seen. I read Paul as reaching out to people in Corinth and saying, look, whatever people are doing around you, that's not how you make decisions for yourself. I think the text today is actually talking about one of the most important qualities to human psychosocial development. I think Paul is trying to create freedom for individual agency. As many of you know, I'm pretty focused on the spiritual exercises and the spirituality of St. Ignatius. And in that tradition, Ignatius identified what we call interior freedom. 
Interior freedom is the ability, it is the freedom, the liberation, the liberty, and not to make choices not out of social constraints, not out of peer pressure, not even out of carnal or lizard brain reasoning, but instead is a freedom and agency to make choices that you choose out of love for God and a desire to see God's will exist in your life and in the world. Essentially, interior freedom is to make choices that perpetuate God's kingdom here on earth through your life. That is what I think Paul is offering in this text from 1 Corinthians. How many of us are like to the Corinthian people, feeling like God has been giving us advice over and over about how we might live our lives, and yet we still seem to make other choices? I don't think it's accidental that every January, millions and millions of people have New Year's resolutions. You see, the Puritans who left England and started this country, they may want us to think that this is about sex and our body, but this text isn't about that. It's about the freedom to make choices about your body and with your life that wholly about God wants and not what you think other people around you think you should do. To put it another way, I think if the laws of the lands changed tomorrow and killing people was okay, we wouldn't go out and do it. No matter what anyone outside of these walls told us, oh, it's okay, you can go kill somebody, it's legal now. Because we know killing someone in cold blood, we know murder is wrong. Love God and love neighbor. Jesus impresses on our hearts that murdering someone else is wrong. That is a hyperbolic and extreme example and an easy example of where we wouldn't be defined by the culture around us. The problem, the great example that Paul gives in Corinthians is that everything else, especially with what might feel good or what people are doing, that's a lot, lot harder to figure out. Rather than being a victim of culture, God calls you to be a champion of yourself, to rise above whatever the people around you want you to conform to. Paul isn't asking you to deny who you are. He wants you to love who you are. And he says it plain as day in verse 19, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Everything that you are is a vessel to help carry and create God's divine kingdom of love here on earth. Never let the culture around you make you forget that. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to an Episcopal Constellation. We hope you enjoyed what you heard. And if so, please give us five stars on your local podcast provider.